True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today and welcome to our first base position preview. Frank Stample joined as always by Scott White and Chris Towers. If you're listening to the podcast, you are hearing this on Thursday, February 11th. And if you're watching us live on YouTube and Twitch, welcome. It's Wednesday night. Thanks for joining us. As always, we're hitting everything first base position today. And with that, Scott, we'll start off with you. The NL and AL MVP were both first basemen. Does that mean that the position is back to its glory days? (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. I'm not even sure that that I buy that one of the MVP winners is going to perform up to that same level again. Um, I wonder who you're talking about, Scott. Yeah, it's I, I I don't think first base is bad. I think it's just old players gravitate toward there because it's it's the easiest position to play defensively. It has the lowest athletic threshold. So bunch of old guys either wind up there or they just stay there and, until they get old. And, and we're, we're naturally uh, inclined to distrust older players for good reason. I mean, a lot of them show signs of decline and yet they're still hanging on because they're able to stick at first base. So I, I don't know that it's a weak position. It's kind of a boring position. It's an unexciting position. And, um, you know, it's not as good as like, Shortstop. Obviously, shortstop has really become the position of studs that first base used to be. Scott, I've got to yeah. say, I mean, you know how to kick off a position preview podcast. <laughs> first base is boring. It's old. I hate it. It's not as good as shortstop. Uh, but that is the real reality of the situation and what we're dealing with here. Chris is also with us. Chris, how is uh, how's Call of Duty going for you? Uh, g- good. Got a win uh, two days ago. So I was happy with that. Got a little, little trio's victory. Uh, so, you know, I haven't played any today. So, you know, just trying to focus on work. Keep my nose to the grindstone. But thanks for asking. I am, I'm <laughs> proud of you, kid, because it, uh, it, it is tough out, out here on these Call of Duty streets. The streets um, of Verdansk are, uh, you know, they're on fire. <laughs> that they are. Uh, so, speaking of first base, it seems like it is an okay position. What I noticed is that it could dry up faster than most positions because there are multiple players that can be used at other positions yep. at first base. So 
DJ LeMayhew, Max Muncie, Mike Moustakis could all be used at second base as well. Uh, Max Muncie could also be used at third. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it sounds like he might get an opportunity to play third base again, so he could be potentially moved there uh, throughout the fantasy baseball season. And Dom Smith, someone we'll talk about today, also has outfield eligibility. So, Chris, I'll throw this one your way. Where is the cutoff of first baseman that you would consider starters for your fantasy baseball team? I would be comfortable. I'm looking at ADP. I'd be comfortable going as far as Josh Bell, but I have him ranked uh, higher than Eric Hosmer and Ryan Mountcastle, who are uh, going ahead of him. Uh, I think he's going to bounce back. So I think there are more starting caliber first basemen. And there's a couple other guys who I would, uh, you know, be okay starting as well. Um, I think there are more starting caliber first basemen than positions to fill in your league is what I would say. I think I'm probably looking at that Anthony Rizzo, Max Muncie, Paul Goldschmidt as like the last tier that I, I wouldn't mind having as my starting first baseman, regardless of format, mm-hmm. head-to-head points or roto. Uh, Scott, what do you think about that? Where, where's the cutoff for you? Yeah, I mean, I could make do with somebody lower in than the three you just mentioned, but, um, you know, Mike Moustakis, Reese Hoskins, Carlos Santana, they're kind of the last names in what I consider the startable tier. And, uh, you know, a couple of those guys, I'm thinking more for points leagues anyway than, than Roto. And that takes us, that tier, at least how I have my ranking set up, that takes us 15 players into the first base position. The problem is, as you mentioned, you got Bellinger outfield eligible, LeMahieu second base, third base eligible, um, Dominic Smith outfield eligible, Max Muncy second and third base eligible, and then Moustakis second base eligible. And so, you know, how many names was that? Five? So we're talking about 10 who are for sure going to be drafted to play first base. Now it's likely Bellinger, Dominic Smith will, uh, because outfield is at least as deep as first base, if not a little deeper. But it's possible that they'll be drafted for the outfield too. So you just, you can't, it's not a position where you can just kind of wait for the best thing that falls to you, whatever that happens to be. At some point, you have to make a move at first base. Yeah, I think both first base and third base are kind of similar. Third base is a better position overall, but um, they don't have the superstar depth that shortstop does but I think there are more usable players uh, at each position. Shortstop, it's a great position for about 12 or 13 spots, and then it gets real, real dicey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not to say there aren't you know usable or good players after that, but you know, first base, you know, if I have to use, if I end up with Hunter Dozier as my corner infielder in a Roto League, I'm actually okay with that. I think he's going to have a bounce back season. There, there are third or first baseman who I can wait for, um, who I don't, you know, I I wouldn't want them as my starter, but I, I can, I can be okay with them. I do think third base has a little bit more star power. I'm looking at about seven names at third base that I think are truly elite players or have the ability to be elite players. I don't know that I could say that about first base. Um, Mm. So let's get into it. We have some ADP analysis, sleepers, breakouts, and bust our favorite first baseman at draft. Uh, We also have some prospects a little bit later on, so we'll talk about all that. But let's jump into ADP. And at the top, you're going to be making a decision 
in the late first, early second round regarding Freddie Freeman versus Cody Bellinger. The ADP for Freeman, 12.3. Bellinger at 15.3. These are the two undoubtedly uh, top first ba- uh, top first baseman in fantasy baseball, and I don't think it's really close. In Roto, over the past three seasons, Freeman has finished as the 6th overall player, 11th overall, and 25th overall player. Cody Bellinger, meanwhile, has finished 67th overall, 5th overall in his MVP 2019 season, and 63rd overall in 2018. Uh, the head-to-head fantasy points per game also favor uh, Freeman more consistently during that span as well. Uh, Freeman, since 2018, a distant first in runs scored, RBI, and batting average among first basemen. Bellinger, uh, to the surprise of nobody, is the leader in home runs and steals. 35 steals for Bellinger, 18 for Freddie Freeman. Uh, So these are the last two National League MVPs. Freeman's coming off a career year. Bellinger is coming off shoulder surgery after he dislocated it, celebrating a home run in the World Series. Scott, who you got? Freeman, Bellinger. I got Freeman. Now he's probably going to take a half a step back from him. His MVP season as well. It was career numbers. It was small sample, obviously, and um, you get some outlier production because of that. I, I think Freeman's was Freeman's outlier production in 2020 was closer to his norm than than what you saw from a lot of players who delivered outlier production, because we know he's. As elite as they come at hitting line drives, one of the safest bets for batting average that there is. And he's been an established power hitter for several years in a row. Pretty consistently goes at the the first, second round turn in fantasy baseball. So I think that's an appropriate place to draft him. When it comes to Freeman versus Bellinger, uh, I originally had Bellinger over Freeman, but two, two things changed my mind. One, you pointed out that over their last 162 games, the last 162 games for each of them, Freeman had better stats, pretty clearly. And the other is that issue with the shoulder. Uh, now coming back from shoulder surgery and uh, some question as to whether he'll be ready at, in time. He probably will, but there's some question there. And, and just, you know, what effect will it have on, his, him, on him performance-wise? You know, just last year we saw and make a change to his stance for some reason coming off an MVP season, and maybe that had an effect on his production. It's hard to say. That's a little Jose. It's a, it's a little like Jose Ramirez uh, mm-hmm. in 2018 when he went into that extended slump, just changing his approach to try to beat the shift, even though he was beating the shift. Um, yeah, which can, can kind of give you hope that with an off season he can get back to it. And, and the thing with sure. Bellinger that gives me hope is the biggest improvement that he made from 2017, 2018 to that 2019 MVP season Yeah, um, was the strikeout rate. And he sustained right. his play discipline gains in 2020. And so, right. You know, I, part of me wonders is, did we just see the worst part of Cody Bellinger's season and he didn't get a chance to break out of it? Mm-hmm. If the season had been 60 games in 2019, Cody Bellinger's probably the number one pick. Yeah. Out, I, out of this I, I think it's I, I still think Cody Bellinger's most likely scenario is closer to 2019 than to 2020. Yeah. Uh and and the fact that he's the only one of these two that's going to be helpful in stolen bases really yeah. I, I think gives him more upside for Roto, but it's close enough that with all those uh all, all those risk factors on Staple to Bellinger that aren't for Freeman, I'll take Freeman. 
Yeah, and Freeman has his worst season over the last five is an 893 OPS. He had 192 combined runs in RBI in that year. He's just one of the five best hitters in baseball. Yeah, it might just be a cons- uh, a question of consistency with Freeman uh, and, and safety versus potential upside with Bellinger. But honestly, I don't even know that their upside is that different, uh, at least based on what we just saw. In no, Roto, it is. We're... Um, yeah, I, look, Freeman steals a few bags, man. He's going to get you yeah. five to seven steals. We were talking about this before we started. It looks painful when Freddie Freeman runs. Like, I don't think he's fast, but like Albert Pujols used to steal bases too, and, and he is not fast either. So um, they are yeah. very deceptive with their their um, speed on the base paths. Uh, the last 162 games that you mentioned, Scott, I'll, just bring, I'll mention this, Cody Bellinger. 255 batting average, 41 home runs, 109 runs, 97 RBI, 14 steals. Freddie Freeman, 307 batting average, 38 home runs, 125 runs, 142 RBI, and 7 steals. Chris, would you actually take Freeman? Because I feel like a while back you said that you would take Bellinger ahead of him. Yeah, in points, Freeman is a couple of spots in my overall rankings. I think it's 10 to 15. Roto, it's right back to back, I think. Uh, I have Freddie Freeman one spot overall ahead of him. Yeah, I'm a little bit more worried about Cody Bellinger, but more on that a little bit later on. DJ LeMahieu is the third first baseman off the board with an ADP of 26.5. He returns to the New York Yankees where he should still be very good, likely an elite player, but we'll save him for tomorrow on the second base uh, preview because he is likely atop the position for all three of us. That brings us to my guy. Jose Abreu, who is now going in the third round at pick 33.3. His ADP last year was 73. His ADP in 2019 was 85. So this is far and away the highest that you have had to draft Jose Abreu. And it comes at the age of 34 with him coming off likely a career year uh, in a shortened 2020 season. So I do have some Jose Abreu fun facts for you before we completely tear him apart because I feel like that's exactly what we're about to do. (laughs) Only once in his career has he had a batting average below 284, and that was when he had testicular torsion back in 2018. I'm sure we all remember that. Um, Probably Jose Abreu a little bit more than we do. Even at 34 years old, Jose Abreu has raised his hard contact barrel rate and average exit velocity in three straight seasons. Since entering the league in 2014... Abreu is second behind only Nolan Arenado with 671 RBI. And I will go as far as to say, I think Abreu is probably one of the five biggest contributors in the RBI category in Roto or head-to-head categories leagues. Uh, Last season, he had 60 RBI in 60 games, a pace of 162 over the course of a full season. little trivia for you. Can either one of you name the last time a player had at least 162 RBI in a season? Oh, man. Uh, was it Juan Gonzalez? I don't think he ever quite got there. It was not. I can look it up to see if he's done it, but he's not the last person to do it. Um, um, was it during it the was, 90s? Was it Hack Wilson? It was during the 90s. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Right smack daddy in the midst of the steroid era. Oh, oh Sammy. It was not Sammy. He had 160. Uh, I think it, I yeah. think that was in like a one. Oh, man. You guys give up? Was it uh, Luis Gonzalez? It was not Luis Gonzalez. 
Okay, who was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, Manny Ramirez in oh, okay, that makes sense. 1999. Um, he, I think he had 166 RBI and 147 games played. It's, it's an absolutely massive season. Uh, all right, so with that, Jose Abreu is awesome, and he, and he drives in a lot of runs. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on Jose Abreu in this cost? Well... <laughs> Uh, Jose Abreu is a good player. He's been a very consistent player. He's been uh, always been underrated in terms of batting average, as you pointed out, Frank. Uh, and so, you know, generally, I'm ar- going into a season arguing for Jose Abreu. I feel like, but it was it was just such an outlier performance for a guy who's already in his mid 30s, and like it, it just screams okay a guy had an especially hot stretch during a 60 game sample. And so he was able to, to put up numbers unlike we're used to seeing from him and win an MVP award. And so his going rate in the middle of the third round is kind of, kind of drafting him as if that's the new standard for him. I mean, there was a reason we weren't drafting him in the middle of the third round in years past. And by the way, I have him, I, I I take him in like the fifth round, so I'm marking him up some from where we used to rank him. I'm not totally discounting the possibility that he could be improved or that he's a clear standout at a position that's a little light at the top. But I, I, I think anybody who drafts him at his going rate is going to be disappointed because we know who he is and it's not what we saw in 2020. Chris, before you crush my dreams as a Chicago White Sox fan, a long-standing, I mean, since day one, Chicago White Sox fan, what are your thoughts on Jose Abreu? When would you actually feel com- comfortable drafting him? Uh, I think I have him in that fifth-round range. I have him 55th overall in Roto. Um, I would guess around the same in head-to-head points. He is, I think, like you said, one of the very safest bets for RBI. And he might be the single player who year in and year out overperforms his overall production based on RBI, if that makes sense. He is usually not one of the best hitting first baseman in baseball. Uh, before last season, his average, his rank in OPS among qualified first basemen uh, was 12th in 2019, 11th in 2018, 6th in 2017. Um, he's a really safe player who's going to drive in a bunch of runs because he's a contact-oriented hitter for a power hitter uh, in a very good lineup. And his numbers with runners on base are, I believe, consistently much better than overall. He is one of those guys who hits better in those situations. Um, That being said, I think he's probably going to be a little more normal in everything but RBI. And so that's where it gets hard for me to... um, to pay that premium for him is, you know, paying up for 33 home runs and, you know, 85 runs in a 280 batting average. Is that real or 285 batting average? Is that like, is that really what I want to do at first base? Probably not. Um, but like, it's probably not going to hurt you either. Like he, it's, it's hard to see as safe as a 34 year old can be. Jose Abreu is, I think. Mercy! Hawk Harrelson will have none of that. None of that Jose Abreu <laughs> slander, Chris. Uh, but with all that being said, if the ADP is 33 on draft day, I will not be drafting him there either. But you could wind up in a draft room where everyone feels the same way as us, 
And then he starts to slip down because I, I told you this last week, Scott, uh, I was in a 15 team Roto draft where he lasted all the way to pick 51. If we get to that point, sure. Like, you know, yeah. late fourth or early fifth round pick, uh, I can get behind that. It's also worth pointing out that in Jose Abreu's career, um, he his best month by far is August. 987 career OPS in August. Uh, and his second best month is September. 884 OPS. So I don't know how much those numbers were driven up by just last year, but it seems like he really does feast during those months. So uh, I guess it, it benefited him that the season started right exactly at that point. Uh, after Jose Abreu at pick 33, we have a decent drop, and then we have three first basemen go in a row in the fifth round. Pete Alonso at pick 54, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at pick 55, and then Luke Voigt at pick 56. Since the start of 2019, nobody in baseball has more home runs than Pete Alonso, who has 69. Nice. Speaking of home runs, nobody had more than Luke Voigt in 2020. He had 22 home runs. Uh, And then there's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who we think has big power upside because he hits the ball as hard as anybody. Uh, We often hear that max exit velocity is a stat that correlates well with power. The problem, as we know by now, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a lot of his balls on the ground, a 51% ground ball rate. Uh, He has talked so far in the offseason about getting himself in shape. There's been pictures about him being in in better shape, so maybe that allows him to lift the ball better um, moving forward. Scott, which of these first basemen would you draft first among Alonzo Voigt and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? And will you actually be targeting this group? I probably won't be drafting any of these specific names because I think they're all going too high. Or or let, let's just say there are players who I think could offer similar production who are going much later. One in particular, and I'm sure we'll get to him. But this is also kind of this also kind of reveals why I don't think it's worth paying up for Abreu because when you have Luke Voigt out there, you have Pete Alonso out there. Uh, I, I think the it's expected production for all three is is comparable. I mean, Abreu has a batting average edge, but I would probably give those other two, Voigt and Alonso, a home run edge over Abreu. And yeah. I just don't think uh, I don't think he has as clear an advantage over those two and maybe some other first basemen as the ADP shows. I have them all in the same tier. The one you mentioned who I don't have in the same tier is Vladimir Guerrero, who... People are going to keep paying for that upside. One of these years, Vladimir Guerrero is going to make them look good for doing it. He's only well, 21 years old, so I'm certainly not writing him off. But he's the kind of proven production you're taking to, to draft him in round five, the, the kind of proven production you're passing up to take him in round five um, for a hypothetical season. is, is just It just doesn't work for me. Chris, what do you think about this? Uh, last year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I think we would we can all agree he didn't have a great season. It was probably... No, he's been disappointing both seasons so far. I think it's yeah. undeniable. Yeah, I mean, he has a sub-800 OPS. I think it's 778 to this point in his career. Even with that, he finishes the 82nd best player in Roto last year. So I think last season was probably something close to his floor. I don't know that he's going to get much worse, and that would kind of be my argument for drafting him is that his upside is we're talking about him as like a first or second round player come next year. So what do you think about that and this group in general? Well, he played 60 games um, and that was the most games you could play last season. <laughs> Legally, we're not allowed to play more than 60 baseball games. Unfortunately. And so finishing 82nd 
when you played 60 games, it's not that impressive because that means that there are probably some players who were a lot better who played like 54 games. And since that was 10% of the season, you know, missing that time hurt even more in that regard. So, you know, I, I think it's probably a situation where Guerrero was probably never really a top 100 player last season. And it's actually kind of stunning. I looked back at his NFC, NFC ADP over the last three seasons. It has been between 53 and 58 each of the last three seasons. So Vladimir Guerrero coming up with all this hype, disappointing both seasons. Uh, his value has not changed in the eyes of the people drafting. Maybe that's smart. We are talking about, you know, a historically productive minor league player at a very young age, and he's still only, uh, he'll turn 22 a little bit before opening day. It's still a little shocking to see 1999 uh, as a major league player's born date. Um, he's probably going to have a really big season at some point. It may even happen this year. Um, but, I, you know, 183 games is definitely too early to write him off, but it's not too early to start at least having the discussion that maybe this isn't the guy we hoped he would be. I don't know yet. I wouldn't draft him there. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's probably a situation where, you know, since we'll play, you know, probably 10 leagues out or something like that, I will have Vladimir Guerrero somewhere just because I will make the decision to draft him. Um, but if I'm drafting for, you know, my normal team's most likely outcome, I probably don't take him. It's the FOMO, Chris. Last year, I had it late in draft season regarding Luis Robert. And it, uh, it hurt that I didn't wind up with him. Speaking of the 1999, the date that you brought up, his birth date, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that was the first time in my life that I felt old. Is Once I realized athletes were actually being born after me, I was like, man, it's it's all downhill from here. There, there's no coming back after this. Who uh, was the first baseball player born after you? Oh, man. I, I, I'm i born in 91, so, I mean, there's a bunch of them now. It's like whoever's... I know, but who was the first? You you, you acted like it was such a big <laughs> moment. I know who the first was for me. It was BJ Upton. Oof. I don't know who the first one was. I, I don't know who, which player. I just remember the moment that it, I was just yeah. like, wow, this... This sucks, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think, Chris, your, your point about the volume of games that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. played last year was a good one on a per-game basis. According to his fantasy points per game, he averages 2.9 fantasy points. That's pretty lackluster. And that is the same amount as Jamer Candelario, Christian Walker, Wilmer Flores, Garrett Cooper. So... To your point, some, le some legends. You're right. <laughs> he wasn't really all that great. Uh, in case people are wondering why Luke Voigt is going this late after finishing as a top 12 player in both Roto and uh, as a top 12 hitter in head-to-head -head points leagues, he had plantar fasciitis, which is a foot injury that can linger. And per NJ.com, Voigt said the platelet-rich plasma injection he got to treat his plantar fasciitis has worked like a charm and that he doesn't expect it to return in 2021 or ever. Voigt said he's trying. he tried putting orthotics in his cleats to help the issue. He'll also reach out to Nike about custom cleat designs. If you're like me and you have no idea what orthotics are, uh, they are... It's like special insoles. Yeah, it's prescription medical devices, which yeah. is just a fancy way to say that. I've got plantar fasciitis. It sucks, uh, but obviously I'm not a professional athlete, so... Does, it, know, he's, does he's, it go away, Chris? Not for me. <laughs> uh, it's nice if I if after I go running, I roll a 
cold beer bottle under my foot. That helps. Maybe Luke Voigt can try that in the locker room. But um, I thought you were going in a different direction. That's, that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, Albert Pujols has dealt with a lot in the second half of his career. Um, and I don't think it's fair to say it slowed him down much. I think it's just he got old. But, you know, I, I think Luke Voigt's really, really good. I, he's also another guy I won't be drafting at this value. And that's just because you're drafting at the peak of his value. He's not going to have a better season than he did last year. Well, Chris, if we were drafting him at his peak, then he would be a first sure, round sure. pick. But you're drafting at, at him at the peak of his ADP. That is least. correct. Whereas last year he was going 100, 130 spots later. Yes. Yeah. That is correct. The reason I bring it up is just because if, if people are wondering why he's going at this point, yeah. like why he's going later mm-hmm. than he probably should, um, it's because I think it's because of the plantar fasciitis. I think some people are kind of worried. Also, I guess there's a chance he's traded. I've heard, you know, trade rumors regarding him, but that's that's not a reason to fade him. Uh, just the price in general probably is. Last year, I kept asking this question: Why draft Pete Alonso when you can get Matt Olson 30 picks later? Well, that's because Matt Olson hit under 200 and he finished 35 spots behind Alonso in Roto. The ADP is similar so far this season. Uh, after Luke Voigt goes at 56, there's about a 30-pick drop until you get to this next group of four first basemen that are going 12 picks apart. That includes Matt Olson at 85.3, Paul Goldschmidt at 87, Max Muncy, who has first, second, and third base eligibility at pick 95, and Anthony Rizzo at pick 96. With the exception of Matt Olson, who I think is... A fine roto player, uh, you know he's not going to be great for batting average, but I think he can give you. He could be a standout in home runs and RBI, and I think he could probably be okay in runs. Uh, I think the other three of these names, Muncie, Rizzo, and Goldschmidt, are great for head-to-head points leagues or in OBP formats. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, Rizzo, I actually tier with Abreu, Voit, and Alonzo for points leagues. Uh, Muncie, you know, you're more likely to draft him as a second baseman, but yeah, he, he, he has a high OBP and middling batting average, and that's usually a recipe for, for head to head points success. Uh, the one I want to talk about here though, is actually Olsen because he was that player who, who I, I think is just as good as Voight and Alonzo. I mean, you already made the comparison, what we were saying last year, why draft Alonzo when you can draft Olsen 30 picks later. I think it still applies. I think the profile is still basically identical. I understand Olsen disappointed more with the batting average last year than Alonzo did, though they they both disappointed with the batting average. But, you know, Olsen was one of those players who had a career-worst strikeout rate in a year where a lot of players did in a very weird year, in a very short year. And he had some horrible Babbitt luck that uh, combined to 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 drag down his batting average by that much. Still hit 14 home runs. I mean, the power, he he still impacts the ball like an elite power hitter, Alonzo does. And it's just it's just rare you you see two profiles that align as closely as Alonzo's and Olsen do, and it's still a 30-pick difference. So Olsen in rotisserie leagues, in traditional 5x5 five five category leagues, Olsen is the first baseman I always go into every draft hoping to get. He's the one I will probably have the most shares of this year. Uh, he's the one that, to me, is being the most clearly undervalued and the reason why I have very little interest in drafting Voight, Alonzo, or even Jose Abreu. 
Olsen, Rizzo, and Muncie in particular, I have labeled the bad Babbitt bros because last year uh, they were just incredibly unlucky, as you highlighted, Scott, with Matt Olsen in particular, a 227 Babbitt, 277 for his career. Anthony Rizzo had a 218 Babbitt, 286 for his career. Uh, that was hurt by a career high 17% infield fly ball rate, which really just kind of came out of nowhere for Anthony Rizzo. Uh, and then Max Muncie, 203 Babbitt. 266 for his career. He might be the one that I'm worried about the most just because his line drive rate was, uh, it dropped about 10 percentage points from 23% to, to 13.8%. Um, but yeah, all three of those were, were very unlucky. And then there's Paul Goldschmidt who kind of found the fountain of youth and he was, he was really good. Chris, what do you think about this group? Uh, Goldschmidt, he kind of, there was a couple years ago where you could tell he started, it, it seemed like he kind of started cheating a little bit to try to maintain his power production. And we saw the strikeout rate, contact rate go, uh, go up or contact rate, go down, strikeout rate, go up. Uh, last year seemed to make the opposite decision. And, you know, that might make him more of a points league specialist, but if he's in a good Cardinals lineup with Nolan Arenado to helping them take a step forward, you know, that could be a lot of runs in RBI for him. Uh, if he can, you know, maintain the gains he made as a contact hitter. I do want to stop at Matt Olson and, you know, just just ask a question that's similar to the why take Matt Ol- why, why take Pete Alonso when Matt Olson's there thirty picks later. Why take Matt Olson when Miguel Sano's there hundred and forty picks later, or whatever, hundred and ten picks or whatever it is. Yeah, it probably uh, shouldn't be. There's that- injury concerns for yeah. Sano. Yeah, but if you if you put them on a hundred and fifty game pace over the last three se- or last two seasons, Sano hasn't beat in runs by twenty one. Home runs by five. He's a little behind in, in RBI and he's a little behind in batting average. But mm-hmm. I, I think that the difference between Olsen and Alonzo, I think, is Olsen has a much wider uh, bar or, or range where his batting average can fall. He's a lefty. Olsen? Yes. Then Alonzo. Well, his, his could go much higher than Sano's could. No, no, no. I mean, Al- I'm mean. comparing him to Alonzo. Oh, okay. I think Alonzo is a, a safer bet for batting average. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the most likely outcome is probably pretty similar for them. Mm-hmm. So now obviously strikes out much more than either of them, which is mm-hmm. saying a lot because those two strike out a ton, but he has a historically high BABIP. Uh, I think it's 340 for his career. So mm-hmm. he actually doesn't hurt you in batting average as much as you would expect. Um, yeah. I just, I, I don't like paying up for, I, I just, I never like paying up for that profile either way with either Olsen or Alonzo. It's, you get you're probably going to get one shot at your starting first baseman. It's not deep enough that you can expect to to make good with a backup first baseman you draft or to find one off the waiver wire. Of course, it's possible you will, um, but probably just get one shot at it. And I don't want that shot to be taken on Miguel Sano. I don't mind getting rid of my corner infielder, right? No, that, yeah, that's if I'm trailing in the power categories. Yeah. Uh, but for my starting first baseman, it's it's no contest who I want between Sano. And Olsen, one, as you pointed out, is liable to strike out 36% of the time, the other probably 26% of the time. And then you add the injury risk on top of that. Yeah. And uh, no, Olsen I'm not saying Olsen, much safer. I'm not saying Olsen shouldn't be drafted a- ahead of Alonzo, but yeah, I, I just, I think the most likely outcome for both of them looks very similar production-wise. And, you know, for what it's worth, Alonzo's hitting 233 since the 2019 All-Star break. I was just about to point out the last 162 games for Alonzo 
a 248 batting average with 50 home runs. The last 162 for Matt Olson, 250 batting average. So still not great, but slightly better than Alonzo with 43 home runs. So sacrifice a little bit of power there. I do agree. I think Olson's range of, of batting average outcomes is probably a little bit wider than Alonzo. Like it could be yeah. lower, but I, I think if we're just doing like a mean projection, I, I probably would have them both around like 250 if that makes sense uh we're gonna get back to adp in a little bit i just want to quickly promote a few things once again thank you to everybody who is joining us live so far tonight on youtube and on twitch we'll be here whenever we record a podcast so more often than not that will be around 10 p.m eastern time on sunday monday wednesday and thursday nights we'll be back here again tomorrow to preview the second base position and i did want to let everyone know that our fantasy baseball commissioner product over at cbs has launched the product is built for everybody regardless of league type dynasty keeper salary cap al only nl only we have it all at cbs fully customizable create your own stat categories and adjust scoring by position that features a deep player pool including minor leaguers and there's even a feature to add your own player there's franchise building detailed player contracts custom keeper rules and trading future draft picks for those deeper dynasty formats Uh, but the biggest endorsement is honestly that i have used the cbs commissioner product for my home keeper league for the past decade Scott White has his Dynasty League that we talk about all the time running on CBS and all kinds of crazy rules. And, you know, he's done it for however, what, six past six, seven years, Scott? And, and you've seven had years, no but, you know, my my longest running fantasy baseball league, uh, I started playing on CBS freshman year of high school, which was 2002. Three, 2003. So, you know, we're coming up on 20 years of playing on CBS for me playing CBS commissioner specifically. Speaking of the Dynasty League, still waiting for uh, Chris to send me a trade offer with Joe Musgrove. But uh, seriously, if you do have any questions about our CBS commissioner product, or if you're you're thinking about getting it, or you have any issues whatsoever, just hit us up on Twitter or email us, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. If you are watching on the video side right now, don't go anywhere. If you are listening to the podcast, we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, sleepers, breakouts, and busts at first base. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. So let's jump right in. Scott, get us started with a sleeper at the first base position. Josh Bell. Josh Bell. Nobody seems to want Josh Bell anymore. Nobody's giving him the pass for a terrible 2020 that so many other hitters are getting, even though, I mean, he was unquestionably unquestionably performed like a stud in 2019. And what really hurt him last year was so uncharacteristic for him I understand that big power breakthrough in 2019. You know, we hadn't seen that before and he kind of slumped in the season. So, you know, maybe there's some skepticism from that. And the reaction to 2020 is like, see, I told you so. But like his strikeout rate blew up last year and he for his entire career had been a low strikeout guy. So, you know, he's somebody who complained about not having access to video and games, which players will have access to again. It's been confirmed. They'll have access to video again. And uh, after the Nationals acquired him, they talked about uh, they found a flaw in his swing that they're confident they're going to be able to correct. And if that's the case, I mean, you're getting him now. He, he goes beyond the 160th pick overall. Like, you're, you're really not forfeiting much by taking a flyer on Josh Bell, uh, who I think has, like, second, third round potential as a hitter. It's It's... It just seems like a, a great opportunity to buy low on a player and literally a case of the fantasy baseball community as a whole sleeping on a guy who, um, gosh, his numbers two years ago, like 37 homers in a 950 OPS or something like that. Just ridiculous production from him. The ADP for Josh Bell is 161.8. So, man, yeah, you're getting him at a steep discount compared to last year. The ADP in 2020 was 93.5, so he's going about 70 picks later than he was last year. I, will, I thought it was too low then for what it's worth. I guess I was wrong, but uh, that I shows you what the upside is. I have him very close to his 2020, 2020 ADP. <laughs> Oof, so Chris is buying <laughs> I have him as a top 100 uh, player and a top 12 first baseman. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to point... a flag on Josh Bell. I like it. I wanted to also point out that in addition to the mechanical flaw that the Nationals found, it was recently confirmed that we will have in-game video for the 2021 MLB season, and Josh Bell was one of those players that complained about not having in-game video last year. So if you're buying that excuse, that's just another reason to uh, buy into one Josh Bell. Chris! It's okay, Frank. I don't listen to Scott either. <laughs> Did he say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did, but I'm glad you 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 extended the point because I think that was the first mention of it on the podcast. No, you know, I appreciate you calling me out for that. And you should call me <laughs> whenever I do because I've listened back to stuff and I'm like, Scott just said that. Why did I repeat him? But there are times where like I have so many tabs open that I'm trying to figure out, all right, what was Josh Bell's NFBC ADP last year? And I'm, I'm pulling that up. So I'm like kind of paying attention to Scott, but kind of not paying attention to Scott. Uh, and sometimes I, I do fall victim to that. So I appreciate Nobody pays me. attention to me on the show. No, we, come on, come on, Scott. Chris, give You're me... You're the only one worth paying attention to, Scott. <laughs> that is true. Uh, I'm definitely uh, last. Chris, give us a sleeper that we, we shouldn't pay attention to for this year. Nathaniel Lowe, who I imagine you have also as your sleeper pick. I told you, I told you before the show you were going to like my sleeper pick. Uh... 
but I'm I'm right there with you. He has not been great in the in the majors so far, but he seems like a guy who kind of deserves a not a free pass, but I think you can understand why someone might struggle to get into a groove when they're not playing every day. This is something that the you know the Rays for all their brilliance and everything that they do right. It might be tough for the guy, you know, outside of the Austin Meadows and, you know, a handful of other guys who play every day. It might be tough for guys to get into a groove when they're in and out of the lineup that much. And especially when you're young and you're establishing yourself. Nate Lowe has, uh, you know, some some real pop. He was a great plate discipline guy in the minors. And I think uh, moving into a new team where he's going to get the opportunity to play every day and playing in a better lineup is going to be really good for him. Did you guys stop talking? I'm sorry. Were you getting your Rangers hat? I legitimately bought a Rangers hat because they traded for Nate Lowe. I love the Rangers. I love everything about them. I'm still pulling for Willie Calhoun. I hope that he is awesome. To Marcus Evans, I hope that you are the closer at some point this year. I am now not just a Yankee fan, but I am a Chicago White Sox fan since day one. And now I am a Texas Rangers (laughs) fan since 2021. Uh, So yes, very excited about Nate Lowe as well. He's free from the tyranny of the Tampa Bay Rays. Massive minor league numbers, uh, 2019, a 929 OPS. In 2018, a 985 OPS. Performed well against left-handed pitching throughout the minors as a left-handed batter. And while he didn't have many batted ball events in 2020, a 114.8 max exit velocity, that was 19th in baseball, with a 15% barrel rate. So... I think that there is a chance that Nate Lowe is just awesome and he hits like 280 with 30 home runs and his ADP right now is 347. So love that call. Scott, a breakout at first base. Oh, I don't love my choices here, um, but I'll, I'll say the prospect, Andrew Vaughn, because there there seems to be... Uh, I, Chris Getz, I, I think he's the the White Sox farm director, and I saw a quote from him recently about how he thinks uh, he's a candidate to make the opening day roster. They have an opening at DH. Obviously, Vaughn and, and Jose Abreu could split first base and DH duties uh, if that comes to pass. If it, if it isn't on opening day, it'll be soon afterward. I, I expect Andrew Vaughn will be one of the first prospects called up unless the White Sox go and add another hitter between now and then. And... Um, yeah, third overall pick in the draft two years ago. You don't see true first baseman drafted that high very often. It says something about how good Vaughn's bat's going to be, and all the scouting reports make him out to be this middle-of-the-order hitter in every respect, average power, gets on base a lot, just just a really projectable bat that um, you could easily see contribute, making a significant fantasy contribution right away. So uh, I'll go with Andrew Vaughn as my breakout. Um, thought about... Jared Walsh, but I like Andrew Vaughn more. I don't actually I heard, like Walsh that much. <laughs> I hadn't heard that quote uh, that he might break camp. That that does, because I had just kind of assumed he wasn't going to be there. Let um, me see if I can find the exact quote. Yeah, yeah, I, I have seen that possibility floated around. So if he doesn't break camp, there's at least a possibility that he's up very early in the season. Again, that is Andrew Vaughn of the Chicago White Sox. Chris, a breakout for you. I'll, I'll go with someone Scott likes a lot, Ryan Mountcastle. Um, he is a... The, the Orioles have been frustratingly patient with their top prospects um, because they haven't been trying to win games in recent years, and that's why Ryan Mountcastle didn't make it to the majors until he'd played a, 
an entire season where he put up an 871 OPS as a 22-year-old in AAA. Um, he did get his chance last season, and he looked very good, and he looked like the kind of player that we were hoping to see. Not a ton of power, but enough, and you know, a just a good hit. Someone who, you know, I think could hit twenty, you know, twenty-five homers and hit two eighty. And you know, he only gets help from Camden Yards. That's a great park, and the rest of the parks in the NL or the AL East are pretty good as well. So I think um, I think Ryan Mountcastle, someone who could provide similar production to what we're expecting from Anthony Rizzo or Paul Goldschmidt or a couple guys who aren't necessarily very exciting at their ADP in like the 80 to 90 range. But when you get Ryan Mancastle in the 15th round, it starts to look like a much more viable profile. I know Scott has used the Nick Castellanos comp for yep. Ryan Mountcastle in the past. So that would definitely play in Camden yards. We could see something like 270 plus batting average, 25 to 30 home runs, which would probably be a very similar season to someone like Anthony Rizzo. I think you're right about that. Uh, breakout for me, I'm going to go with Dominic Smith. I guess he kind of broke out already last year, but he's being drafted outside the top 100. I think some people might be worried about him losing playing time um, because of there being no DH in the National League. And I guess that's always a possibility because the Mets are just the Mets and they find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, but Dominic Smith is 25 years old. He's younger than Pete Alonso, And since the start of 2019, 139 games, he has been... Awesome. We are talking about a 299 batting average with an OPS over 900. He can hit lefties. His stack has data last season was awesome. You know, I think there's a chance that we're talking about Dom Smith if he plays every day all season as someone who slashes this ADP next year and that we're drafted, you know, we're drafting inside the top 60, 50 or 60 picks next season. So uh, pretty excited about one Dominic Smith. Scott, hit us with a bust rather quickly if you could. Yeah, I'm going to say Vladimir Guerrero here for reasons I more or less already gave. I just think he's a lot more likely to hurt you at his going rate than than help you. And um, it's a pick I could see you regretting for the entire season. Chris, bust? Question mark? Jose Abreu. Uh, for the same reasons we said earlier, it's you're paying for him at his peak value. He's a 34-year-old. And, you know, I, I don't think there's enough for all the guys who do get knocked for their age, Jose Abreu does not appear to be one of them. And maybe people just don't realize he's 34 years old, but uh, you know, there's always a chance that the fall off happens and it could be quick for me. I have Cody Bellinger and I kind of teased this a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm just kind of really worried about this uh, shoulder injury coming back from it. Apparently uh, there was a report just yesterday that he hasn't taken full swings yet. He's only taking swings with one hand. Uh, so maybe eventually he gets going. I think there's a chance he gets off to a slow start. So maybe you look to, to buy low early in the season on Cody Bellinger. He also has struggled against left-handed pitching in two of the past three seasons. 681 OPS in 2018 against lefties. 666 OPS last season in 2020. Small sample size again against left-handed pitching. Scott, give me one name. The one first baseman that you will draft most this season. I kind of already gave it, Matt. Olsen is the one I'll probably draft most, but I'm thinking that's mostly for rotisserie leagues, categories leagues. If it's a points league, I might just hold out for Carlos Santana, Ooh. who people are completely writing off 
after a career worst season. And, you know, he's in his mid 30s. So I can understand I can I can understand the argument that maybe Carlos Santana is just washed now. But you look at the underlying numbers. He was the exact, exact same player as always last year. Exactly the same. And, um, you know, combined ADP is going like 230th overall. Now that's for categories leagues. I imagine it's much higher than that in points, but it, it's still going to be a, a discount for a guy who's just been so bankable at that format that I, I really have um, no objections to taking him as my starting first baseman after filling in most every other spot in my lineup. Speaking of the Kansas City Royals, just before we got started, they completed a trade to acquire Andrew Benintendi. So this lineup is not one of the best in baseball, but it's, it's coming together. Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi, Salvador Perez, Carlos Santana, Jorge Soler, Benintendi, Hunter Dozier, and then, you know, Michael Taylor, Nicky Lopez there at the bottom. But it's a pretty good lineup. Chris, uh, just give me a name. The first baseman you will draft most this season. Uh, I, I was, sorry, I was frantically trying to find the odds for RBI leader for MLB in 2021 because Eric Cosmer is the best bet. I don't say he's the most likely, but he probably has really long odds. And this is a guy like Jose Abreu, even when he's been mediocre, like in 2019 when he had a 735 OPS, he had 99 RBI. Padres lineup is stacked. He's going to hit cleanup in it. And I buy that he improved last season. He's not going to be an extreme fly ball hitter like he was early, but his uh, fly ball, his ground ball rate never topped 50% in any month last season. Uh, it's only two months, but still. Uh, <laughs> it shows that he didn't regress all the way in the second half of the season. And so it was I pretty he, high, though, in September, though, wasn't it? It was like 49%, which is mm-hmm. high, but it's not. He, yeah. This is a guy who's usually 55 to 60%. And so if he can be a 49% ground ball rate guy, I think you're probably looking at 25 plus home runs. And I think he legitimately could, you know, hit 290 with. 120 RBI. It's not unrealistic. Eric Hosmer was awesome last season, so I really like this call. He averaged 3.6 fantasy points per game, and that would have, well, it did rank two, four, six, six best at the position among first basemen. Um, he had 26 RBI in 36 and 38 games. 36 and 38 Almost games. Jose Abreu. Yeah. yeah, so that is, a, that is a massive number. I really like that call. For me, I think it's probably going to be Anthony Rizzo in, in points leagues, and... Matt Olson. I like, I'm going to get quite a bit of Matt Olson in uh, Roto and categories. Not if, not if I can help it, Frank. Not if you can help it. Uh, if anyone's wondering how much to pay for these first basemen in a salary cap draft, here are Scott's values for the different tiers. Uh, this is for assuming a 12-team salary cap draft, standard $260 budget. You have Freeman at $35, Bellinger at $33, Abreu and Voigt at $22, Alonzo at $21, Olsen at 20, Goldschmidt at 14, Rizzo at 13, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at 13, uh, and then Mike Moustakis at 10, names like Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins at 7, and then you got your Buck Bash, Brandon Belt, and Yuli Gurriel. We spent enough time on the ADP of the other gentlemen that are going early, Um, so let's just pick it up here with with Dom Smith. I'll, I'll quickly get your thoughts on... Him, Scott, we got this email from Mark Esposito who wonders with the NL not having the DH, will Dom Smith lose at bats this season? That's what I worried about. Otherwise, I'd be taking, I'd be gobbling him up at his, his ADP in terms of fantasy points per game last year. He was elite. Um, and, you know, there's, there's all the usual small season, short season caveats need to apply to that, but it's still, 
he still deserves to go higher based on the way he performed and based on his pedigree prior to last year. It's just, will the Mets be confident every day with J.D. Davis at third base and Dominic Smith in left field? Because if not, then uh, playing time could become an issue for both. Out here in the streets of New York, the Mets have been referred to as the New York mess at times. So they can certainly mess the situation up. Please, please do not do it. Um, Good Springsteen song. (laughs) Dom Smith. Dom Smith is kind of on an island in ADP 107.3, as is Mike Moustakis with an ADP of 124.5. I'm a big fan of Mike Moustakis. I think he's kind of boring and undervalued. So boring. Chris, what do you think? So boring. The moose. So boring. But he's going to hit 30 plus home runs. He'll drive in some runs. The the Reds line is going to be a lot better than it was last season. I don't know what happened in Cincinnati last year. Everyone, I think they had the lowest BABIP as a team ever. Um, and it was like everyone had a 212 BABIP. I don't know what happened. Uh, they didn't have to face Trevor Bauer, so they don't even have that excuse. I am basically buying all the Reds not yep. named A. Eugenio Suarez because I feel like um, they're all undervalued. So Castellanos, uh, Castellanos, who's that? Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, even you know Senzel and Winker going later on in drafts. I'm going to take some flyers there as well. Uh, drop down in ADP, we have four decently fun names that we've already mentioned a few times here going 15 picks apart. Hosmer at pick 148, Mountcastle at... 150, Josh Bell now with the Nationals at 162. Reese Hoskins, of course, coming back from, I don't think it was like a full Tommy John surgery, but it was kind of like a partial Tommy John surgery. His ADP is at 165. Scott, what do you think of this group? Hosmer, Mountcastle, Bell, Hoskins. Well, if I don't end up with Carlos Santana in a points league, it's probably because I got Reese Hoskins instead. And certainly I have some concerns about the elbow. Uh, the fact that it, it wasn't Tommy John, full-blown Tommy John, um, is encouraging. It, it makes me hopeful he'll be able to make a full recovery. The discount, I think, is more than enough, considering that in head-to-head points leagues last year, um, so just doing head-to-head points per game, it went Freddie Freeman 1, Jose Abreu 2, DJ LeMahieu 3, Luke Voigt 4, and then Reese Hoskins, five, with 3.7 head-to-head points per game. He's somebody who could potentially lead the league in walks, and that is very valuable in that format specifically. Drop down a few more picks in ADP. Trey Mancini going at pick 182, of course, recovering from cancer and will be returning this season. Miguel Sano going two picks later than Trey Mancini. Uh, boom, boom. Mancini, as they like to call him. He had a breakout 2019 season, uh, top 30 hitter in both Roto and head-to-head points. Miguel Sano, his last two seasons, which is 158 games, 233 batting average with 47 home runs. Chris, I know Sano is one of your boys. What about Trey Mancini? I like Trey Mancini as well. Um, you know, I, it's it's kind of an open question how he's going to, um, you know, play coming back from... Uh, you know, his recovery, but, you know, assuming he's the guy he was before, I think he's a great value. Uh, he, he's a, a really solid hitter. If I can just interject for a second, in, in CBS leagues, Mancini will not be first base eligible to begin the season. I'm sure and maybe some other providers he will be. If he is eligible at first base, it it completely changes my approach to the position because I would be totally content to draft uh, Mancini as my starter if I missed out on all the quality options before that. Um, 
his number, like he was a 290-ish hitter with 35 homers two years ago. It was, it was numbers like you'd expect from JD Martinez. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love getting him, whether it's in the outfield or if it's to be my first baseman, where, wherever that's possible. Great point about Trey Mancini there, which reminds me at the 57 minute mark of the podcast that. Keston Hiura will be playing first base, so probably should have been part of this conversation, but we will talk about him on tomorrow's podcast. The second base position preview, we could kind of work in, you know, how does it affect his value now that he should have first base eligibility early on in the season? Again, that's Keston Hira, who's expected to move over after the Brewers signed Colton Wong to be their starting second baseman. Just outside the top 280p, we see a group of Christian Walker, Jared Walsh, your boy Carlos Santana, and Yuli Gurriel. So we know you like Santana, Scott. Do you like any of these other names here? I think there are a lot of fine contributors here. This is kind of where the depth appears at first base relative to other positions. Like, you don't want any of these guys as your starter in a 12-team head-to-head points league. They're probably not even going to be drafted. But if you play in something deeper... Um, this is there's a very good chance you're going to fill your corner infield spot with one of these guys. Christian Walker appeals, appears very safe. Jesus Aguilar, I think, is a pretty safe choice. I, I'm not even sure we're to him in ADP yet, but the Marlins' first baseman, uh, who had a pretty decent bounce-back season last year. I mentioned Jared Walsh earlier, uh, who hit nine home runs last September with only like a 16% strikeout rate and uh, kind of beat out Albert Pujols for the starting first base job this year as a result, I think. And he's been a guy who's hit had big home run totals in the minors. So I think, like, I'm skeptical Walsh is going to sustain that low strikeout rate because he never had anything that low in the minors, but I I do think he's a legit power hitter and and worth drafting in this range. The next group of four we see is Rowdy Telez, Bobby Dahlbeck of the Boston Red Sox, Brandon Belt with the Giants, and Ryan McMahon with the Rockies. Uh, I will quickly hit on Rowdy Telez, who I was pretty excited about earlier in the offseason, but now with all the depth with the Toronto Blue Jays, I guess there's still a chance that he does play every day, but he really needs to perform. Uh, and I guess you could say that about a few other Blue Jays now as well, because if not, there are other names to kind of pick up the slack here. Uh, but Rowdy Telez was fantastic last year. 35 games, he batted 283 with an 886 OPS. He cut his strikeout rate in half from 28% in 2019. Um, well, I guess it's not completely in half to 15.7% in 2020. Um, And for anyone who's worried about him platooning, he had an 811 OPS against lefties in 2020 and an 831 mark in 2019. So I still do like Rowdy Telez, but I had to pump the brakes just a little bit. We'll end with this group and we'll throw it your way, Chris. Joey Votto, Jamer Candelario, Nate Lowe, who we already spoke, spoke about, and Renato Nunez, who just signed a minor league deal with the Detroit Tigers. And I think he's probably going to get a chance to play. Yeah, he can basically be what CJ Crone was for the Tigers, which is, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's quite damning with faint praise, but, uh, you know, he's interesting. He can be a source of power. Um, Candelario, I'm, I don't really, I don't think I have him ranked in the fantasy relevant range. I just, it's basically one season where he's hit anything like this. Uh, Votto, Votto bounce back season is real. He changed his uh, his approach in the second half of the season, started hitting for more power, uh, seemed to sacrifice some of his plate discipline for power. He was still walking a ton, though, uh, just struck out more. And at the very least, it shows me that 
you know, one of the game's great tinkerers still has some tricks left. And, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he hit like 260 with 25 home runs. I will admit that Jamer Candelario is not exciting. Uh, the Tigers are expected to be a subpar lineup, I think we could say quite confidently. But he did hit 297 last year, 503 slug with a 277 expected batting average and a 469 expected slug. The 90 mile per hour average exit velocity was the best of his career. His 10% barrel rate was the best of his career. So if you're buying into any of that from the shortened season, then uh, Jamer Candelario could be a name for you. Scott, clean us up. We can wrap up the show. Anyone that we missed or anyone that you would like to hit on that we just talked about? Well, he kind of breezed by the name Bobby Dahlbeck of the Red Sox. He's in line to be their everyday first baseman after homering eight times in 92 at-bats down the stretch last season. I think he's a three-true-outcomes guy and probably not going to help you in batting average, but could be a big source of power late. Uh, I'm thinking especially in like a 15-team Roto League. He's somebody who um, I will not be sleeping on. Can I say one more name? Yes, you can. Brandon Belt in the hitter's haven that is San Francisco. He's always been a good hitter who's been held back in the terms of power by his home park, but it was a better place to hit. Giants have a sneaky good lineup, and uh, I just, I would be thrilled if Brandon Belt's 2020 were real and he had a late career resurgence because that dude's awesome. Brandon Belt, along with many other Giants, had this awesome statistical 2020 season. And I wonder if it has to do anything, has anything to do with uh, their manager front office combina- combination of Gabe Kapler and, and Farhan Zaidi, who are both analytically driven. So perhaps they've figured some things out for some of their players, but Brandon Belt, 96th percentile in expected slugging percentage, barrel rate, and expected Woba last year. So a name to remember late in your drafts as a corner infielder is one. Brandon Belt. We're going to wrap there. First base position preview for Chris and Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.